Hello, everybody. I'm Taya. I'm Laura. And today we are talking about the third installment of the uh, Tobey Maguire. I was trying to think of the director's name. Sam, Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi. <laughs> Spider-Man 3. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Uh, so we are talking about Spider-Man 3. And uh, welcome to Missed Opportunities. We are... Uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and you can also find us on uh, Twitter, uh, YLS underscore productions, and you can support us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Flake. Just click on the tier for this podcast, Missed Opportunities, and we can go ahead and get right into it, <laughs> talking about uh, the Sam Raimi or Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. This is the third and final installment of that series, and uh, Laura's going to go ahead and give us the synopsis. So we pick up a little while after the second Spider-Man movie, Peter Parker. I was about to say Peter Pan. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Peter Parker plans to propose to Mary Jane Watson, who has just made her Broadway musical debut. One night, they're stargazing in Central Park, and an extraterrestrial symbiote lands on Earth inside a meteorite. So at the time, we don't know it's a symbiote unless you were familiar with the comics. You see a meteorite crash, very small one, by the way, and some black goo. It attaches to uh, Peter's motorbike, and it follows him all the way home. Meanwhile, Harry Osborn, who is Peter's best friend, now knows that Peter is Spider-Man, and he wants to avenge his father's death. So he starts using his father's performance-enhancing gas, which is what turned his dad into the goblin, the green goblin. And he goes after Peter. He eventually gets knocked out and develops partial amnesia. Now, they don't specify in the movie just how far back exactly his amnesia goes, but it's pretty short-term memory, and he doesn't remember his father dying. Uh, meanwhile, the police are on a pursuit to try and find escaped convict Flint Marco, who we watch visit his wife and very sick daughter before he once again flees from their house. As he's fleeing, he falls into an experimental particle accelerator, and it fuses his body with the surrounding sand. He gains the ability to control sand and reform his body with it, and he becomes the villain Sandman. They hold a festival, the city of New York holds a festival because earlier in the movie, Spider-Man saves Gwen Stacy's life, and Gwen Stacy is the daughter of the police captain. While they're giving him the key to the city for rescuing her life, people start saying, kiss him, kiss him, kiss him, and Gwen Stacy does what Mary Jane did in the first movie. He's hanging upside down, and she pulls down the mask just over his mouth and gives him a kiss in front of everybody, with Mary Jane standing there watching, which was fun. After that festival, a New York police officer, or detective, excuse me, informs Peter and Aunt May that they previously thought that Dennis, who was from the first movie, was Uncle Ben's killer, but they found out it's actually, they're suspecting now that it's Flint Marco, who we saw just earlier, fleeing police and visiting his sick daughter. Peter is extremely upset. He decides to go out in his Spider-Man suit uh, and waits for the police scanner to inform him that they found Marco. 
while he's waiting for that, the symbiote that previously went onto his motorbike and followed him home assimilates the suit, turning it all black. Peter wakes up because he ended up falling asleep while waiting for the police scanner to say they got Marco. He wakes up and he's on top of the building, of a building, and looks down and sees that his suit is now black and he has different powers. Um, he finds Marco in a subway tunnel and he discovers that water is pretty bad for the Sandman. As you can imagine, it turns him into kind of a muddy mess. He opens up a pipe releasing water that reduces Margot to mud and washes him in a way in a sewer and believes that this has killed him. Uh, his Peter has started to have very negative characteristics uh, due to the symbiote. I mean, he's always wearing the black suit underneath his clothes. And he starts alienating Mary Jane, who hasn't even been able to tell him that she got fired from her Broadway job due to negative reviews from critics and some other things going on in her life. She does go, she goes to Harry because she just wants to be with someone and have a friend for the night, but she ends up kissing Harry and then leaves upset. Harry is very upset as well. And he gets a hallucination of his father and recovers from his amnesia and then forces Mary Jane to break up with Peter so to try and save Peter's life. After Mary Jane unwillingly tells Peter that she loves someone else, Harry meets with Peter and claims to be that person. Under the influence of the symbiote, Peter goes to confront Harry over this, and they have a brutal fight where he tells him that his father never loved him. And as he leaves, Harry throws a bomb at him, which Peter deflects back and defigures Harry's face. Meanwhile, throughout this whole movie, we've had... <laughs> A photographer, Eddie Brock, who has been trying to take Peter Parker's spot as the photographer for the Daily Bugle. He faked a photo depicting Spider-Man as a criminal, and Peter exposes this who and gets Brock fired. And Peter instead gets a staff photographer position. Uh, that also causes Eddie Brock's girlfriend, who happens to be Gwen Stacy, to break up with him. So Peter takes Gwen to a jazz club where he just found out Mary Jane is working and he does a dance with Gwen in front of her and then gets in a fight with bouncers accidentally hits Mary Jane because she kind of goes in there trying to pick it up and he was swinging and that happened. Peter realizes that the symbiote is corrupting him after that happened because beforehand he would never have done any of those things. He retreats to a church's bell tower and is able to remove the symbiote in the bell tower while the bell is gonging. However, Eddie Brock becomes the symbiote's new host. <clears throat> Brock, who is now the symbiote, Venom, or has the symbiote and becomes Venom, finds Flint Marco. They join forces to kill Spider-Man. They abduct Mary Jane and hold her in, in a <clears throat> really high web in a taxi cab. Peter realizes he can't save her by himself, so he enlists Harry's help. But he says no, and so Peter goes to fight them on his own. While that's happening, Harry's butler tells him that his father was indeed killed by his own glider and that Spider-Man did not kill him, just brought him home. Harry then decides that he does want to go and help save Mary Jane, and he helps Peter. He ends up saving Peter's life, but um, gets stabbed by his own glider. And <clears throat> Peter is able to take down... Uh, Eddie Brock Jr. and the symbiote by remembering the symbiote's weakness, which was the bell gonging, like that loud reverberating sound. So he's able to create that again with some metal poles. 
destroys the symbiote. Eddie also dies. He wasn't trying to kill Eddie necessarily. He'd separated the two of them, but Eddie dives back in and gets blown up. Flint, Marco, does not die, but he does tell Peter that he never wanted any of that to happen and that killing Uncle Ben was a complete mistake. He had a gun on Uncle Ben, didn't want to pull the trigger, but he was bumped into, which caused him to pull the trigger and shoot Uncle Ben. Peter says he forgives him, and Flint Marco kind of goes away in a big wave of sand through the city. Harry and Peter reconcile before Harry dies from being impaled, and they have a funeral for Harry. After the funeral, Peter visits Mary Jane at the jazz club, and they share a dance, implying that they have forgiven each other and that they're going to move on and be a couple. Like I said in our last podcast, I didn't, um, when I first saw this movie, I loved it. I thought it was amazing. And then uh, my brother watched it and he was like, this is the stupidest thing ever. And I, for the life of me, like didn't remember any of the stupid things about it. <laughs> and so I, uh, watching it this time, I really do like this movie. And I really do think that if you just cut out the emo parts, it would be such a better movie. I also think that there is too many villains in it. I think that's, I, I think everybody is kind of um, agree agrees about that. Um, the way that I would fix it, <laughs> just, just overview the way that I would fix it is uh, I do think that the Harry and the Venom, because before I was thinking Venom should just have his own movie and it should have just been Harry and the Sandman. But Peter would never treat Harry as badly as he did um, without the symbiote. And so I would say that the problem is that there's too many villain origin stories in this movie. So what I would do is I would have the symbiote and then I would have the last time we see uh, the symbiote is when he takes it off at the bell tower and we see Eddie get it. Like we see Eddie become Venom and then we don't see him again. And then that leaves it open for a fourth movie and Venom can have his own movie then. So uh, I, I had a very similar thought, but instead of not seeing Eddie again, I just wanted like a, a teaser, maybe a mid credit. They weren't doing mid credit teasers and things back then. So maybe it would have been at the end of the movie where maybe Eddie watched a final fight with Spider-Man or as Venom, Eddie Venom person. And so we just kind of see him like evilly grin and then closes out and you know that he's going to come back in the next movie. Yeah, I, I really think that that's what needed to happen because Eddie's character throughout this movie is pretty much wasted. <laughs> he doesn't do anything. He is kind of a little bit of an antagonist for like a minute, but not really. And then he's like this, because Venom is the most beloved of all spider-man villains right like he is the coolest villain he later becomes an anti-hero like he's he's very popular he's one of the most popular spider-man villains he's um spider-man's three main villains are the ones that they did in these movies um green goblin doc ock and venom and venom is by far the most popular so it's like they give him like the least amount of screen time yeah like you have to do venom justice because his story is super compelling like it, the actual story of Eddie Brock it, um, is super compelling. And the, the symbiote um, is like the story of the symbiote is completely compelling, awful, but compelling. <laughs> and so like, I, people want to see that. That's why they, they did the, um, the Venom movies that they did and why Venom could be 
a leading man, you know, in in his own movie or whatever. And I think, uh, and and it's no it's no hate to Topher Grace who played Eddie Brock, be, um, but I do think that at the time when this movie came out, a lot of people were very angry um, about Topher Grace playing Eddie Brock. First of all, Eddie Brock is supposed to be a really big, like, huge guy. Like that's kind of his. He was um, what Flash Thompson was, <laughs> you know, like he he knew Peter from before. He wasn't a photographer; he was a journalist. Um, and then in some iterations, he was um, the doctor that looks at the, that tells Peter about the symbiote. Um, he, he was like his intern in one, in one of the, in one of the cartoons, he was the intern. But in a lot of the, the um, iterations, <laughs> Eddie is, he does work for the Daily Bugle and he is a journalist, but uh Topher Grace doesn't really embody what Eddie Brock was, you know? Um, and Topher Grace was on that 70s show and that 70s show was a huge hit. It was one of the biggest TV shows at that time. And Topher Grace leaving, he didn't leave very like ceremoniously. Um, and the show went way downhill after his character left because he was the main character and he left to do movies. And this was the first movie I think this was the first, this was, this was definitely the most popular movie that he did immediately after leaving that show. So everybody was kind of mad at him for leaving the show. And then the costuming was weird and it didn't look like Venom and he didn't really look like Eddie Brock. And so like, I, I feel like the, what was happening in the, in the world in of media at the time really affected how a lot of people liked or disliked Venom in this movie and rewatching it and having like, I don't really care about that 70s show anymore. And Topher Grace has done plenty of other movies and, and had a completely different career or whatever. And now he's back on that 90s show. Like um, watching it just, you know, with all of that bias gone, he doesn't do a bad job. He's very funny and charismatic. Um, I don't like the costuming when like when the, the symbiote comes back and it's like sticking to his face all kind of weird that is creepy and it's weird and and his dialogue is not super great um but I do think that Topher Grace could have done a good villain story had he been given the entire movie to do it like he has the range I completely disagree I knew absolutely nothing of any of the drama you just said I've never watched a single episode of that 70s show I know nothing about Topher Grace, except I think he's in that movie. He's just not that into you, but that could be an actor who looks like him. And I did not like him as Venom. He was fine as Eddie. I didn't know Eddie Brock was supposed to be big and massive. But like as a, as a rival photographer for The Bugle, I found him despicable. The second that symbiote gets with him, I did not like his performance. I didn't find it intimidating. I didn't find it scary. I didn't find it villainous. I found it, I could see him, not the character. And his decision to be crying when he's like trying to threaten Peter or on the verge of tears to me was really weird. And as the director, I would have asked him to make a different choice. I didn't like him as Venom. And I knew none of what you just said. <laughs> Nothing. I, I maybe seen him in one other thing, possibly. And I did. he was fine as Eddie Brock, as again, with me knowing nothing about the comic book iteration that he's supposed to be massive and big on his own without Venom. but. Um, just as someone to annoy Peter and be like a little bit of a skis ball, I guess, you know, being willing to Photoshop that picture to get ahead and 
all that jazz. That was all fine. I didn't find any fault in his acting. But the second the symbiote was with him, I didn't like anytime he spoke or was on screen. I didn't like him or find him scary or think that he was a good actor. I didn't mind the black things crawling all over his face because he didn't give me any creepy vibes. So at least something was giving me creepy villainous vibes. The blacks fall over his face. <laughs> at least that was giving me that because he himself was not. I was I, I didn't like his performance at well, all. Well, that's the thing. But that's the thing. Like he's not creepy. He's not supposed to be creepy. He and he's not supposed to be. Oh, I like, I like being bad. I don't know. I think that Topher Grace has the range to do it. I I truly believe that. <laughs> I don't think he did in this movie. You know what I mean? Like I've seen Topher Grace in just a couple of different movies. Usually he's in romantic comedies. So this was a, a stretch for him, but I do think he's capable. Like he's been in dramas, like he can handle because again, um, I'm trying to think. So when Brock becomes Venom, Venom in like uh, Venom immediately tells him all of Peter Parker's secrets and gives him, and it never explains in this movie Venom has Spider-Man's powers yes. because it, it bonded with Spider-Man. The reason why he got rid of, um, why Peter got rid of the symbiote was because the symbiote was trying to completely merge with him. And um, so he gets rid of it. Eddie completely merges with it to the point where he can't, you can't separate him from the symbiote. If he does, he dies. And if, um, and so it's, like, it's a compelling story. Like, he has to have the symbiote to live, but the symbiote's making him evil. And, you know, it, it's it's a cool story. And they didn't I don't do think, very well. Yeah, I don't think they did it very well. I think they did it better than I remember them doing it, <laughs> you know, than people give them credit for. But I feel like you have incredible source material and you barely, just barely scratch the surface and then you killed off the character. You know, like... yeah. I, I don't I didn't like that I really prefer exactly what we said at the beginning that the symbiote I don't I didn't mind the symbiote being on Spider-Man I agree that that needed to happen for some other plot points that I did like in the movie to happen um, but just like we said at the beginning I think the symbiote falling out or being separated from Peter because of the bell going on to Eddie and then them just kind of watching from the background and be getting a tease at the end like oh you know for the next movie would have been a lot yeah. better because the fourth and fifth and sixth movie were originally planned with Toby McGuire and the reception of this movie. I'm not 100% sure that the reception of this movie is what stopped it, but I'm pretty sure because when this movie came out at the time, not anymore, but at that time, it was one of the most expensive movies with special effects made ever. Mm -hmm. they, you, they went above and beyond the budget for special effects thinking that they couldn't fail that they would absolutely rake in more than enough and they didn't so they had three more movies planned and i wish they would have had enough senses think you know if we have all these other movies planned we could put venom in one of them is yeah is, i i don't know why they decided to go they stuffed the movie too full of all these villain origin stories that it just it made it feel like like with Harry, for instance, I felt like there was a lot of just Harry doing nothing. He might have been doing something, but because we had to go focus on Sandman and on Eddie Brock and all these other things like that we didn't really 
get to see Harry do it. He didn't feel like a threat sometimes. And then he popped it back up again, right when you're about to forget him. Like I was just about to say, Hey, I wonder what Sandman's up to. I wonder what Harry's up to. I wonder what this, and then they would pop up a, like to be like, Oh, okay, they're doing this. And then they go away again and we move on to somebody else. It was just too many characters that they weren't able to juggle correctly because it just felt like no one got enough of the screen time that they needed for the story to be told in the best way it could. I honestly think like it's not like they they had a lot of characters, but they were only over by like one or two. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. don't I, I like this movie. I really do. And I think that if they had taken away Topher Grace's character to be a journalist, like I don't I don't see the point of him competing with her, with him competing with Peter for the staff job, um, other than it makes it's another excuse for Peter to be upset, but Peter has plenty of reason to be upset by finding out that the man that he thought he killed his uncle and all of that drama, like that's enough to be upset. Having your girlfriend that you want to uh, propose to be mad at you and you having to stop your proposal, that's enough to make you upset. Like your best friends uh, attacking you and then you hurting them to the point where they have a head injury so bad that they can't like, uh, remember you like that's enough <laughs> you know yeah. like, they didn't they didn't need Eddie in this movie so Eddie no. should have just been a journalist in the background and the storyline that that Eddie um, the reason why Eddie hates him is because Eddie um, is a journalist and says I figured out the identity of um, one of the bad guys I don't remember well some super villain and he publishes it saying this is the guy that's the that's um and, and I have a confession. This is the guy that the supervillain Spider-Man finds the actual villain and embarrasses him and he has to retract and all that stuff. So it's basically the same storyline. It's just with, uh, uh, it has nothing to do with photography. It's, it's journalism or whatever. And um, so it doesn't like Peter doesn't really figure out that Eddie Brock hates him because it, it doesn't really affect Peter. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, Whereas in this movie, it's very, like, Peter does it maliciously, like, when he turns the paper because he's acting against, you know, he's acting with the symbiote. And I think, I think that they should have, like, just had Topher Grace be there. Maybe Peter does one thing to embarrass him. And that's all, that's all that they needed. You know, like, he could have just stolen Gwen from him, whatever, which is, um, that, you know, that's all he had to do. (laughs) You know, he only had to do that. They didn't need Eddie Brock to be as big a presence. Again, it could have just been a tease and enough in the movie that he doesn't like Peter. Maybe Peter isn't even aware of that, that he takes him off that badly and everything. But And then tease him for the next movie, and then we can get more in-depth with everything there. But they squeeze Venom in, who's, as you said, one of the most, if not the most popular Spider-Man villain ever, which is why he got his own solo movies later with the different actor and everything. It really, so I, that, think, I, th- I agree that if they took out Eddie Brock or reduced it to a lot and just teased Venom for the next movie, one, you would get people excited for the next movie. And two, you would help move a lot of the story along. But there were also some really then, weird editing choices in this movie, at least in the second half for me. One in particular that really ticks me off. I also think that if they had taken out the emo 
the whole that whole scene and just had him show up with Gwen to Mary Jane's work and just been a jerk to her like she's a waitress he could easily be a jerk to her and that that would have covered the whole you know like that would have had the same emotional impact of him just being a jerk to her or or rubbing it in her face if he had you know like kissed Gwen in front of her or something like that like anything he could like he could have just been a jerk to her he didn't have to do the stupid dance he didn't have to do the stupid Saturday Night Live moves he just all he had to do was be a jerk to her at her place of business and and then he could even get in fight with the bouncer and hit her and that whole like knocking him into oh my gosh I have to get rid of the symbiote it's making me a horrible person um I really like they they so did not need that and I feel like that is the only thing that people remember from this movie is that stupid scene and I really wish they had not done it I really wanted to be in the room when they pitched that scene to everybody yeah. like what why and well, how yeah. I just so the part that ticks me off the most in this movie which is surprising because like there are a lot of things that, that I didn't like about the second half in particular the first half yeah one too many characters and all that but it wasn't nearly as bad as I was thinking I was sitting there watching like the whole first half I'm like really people crap on this movie this much and then we got to the second half and I was like I understand now I'm ticked and this part ticks me off so much I don't know why it's this one part over everything else and Jonathan my husband was looking at me like I was crazy for ranting about it Mary Jane is in the taxi cab suspended in a huge web they're putting it on on TV Peter is standing there watching it um, because they used to put a bunch of TV screens and like store windows and it's a really common trope that people stand there outside the window and like watch the TV while something important is happening on the news so he stands there he gets all the information and and he they immediately cut he leaves and instead of me thinking okay we're gonna see him like in the suit swinging through to go fight them or find harry to help fight them something like that no what they do in the movie is he leaves and then we immediately go to a very slow shot of him pulling out the box from under his bed opening up the box picking up and looking at his red spider-man suit and and then they go into the little spider symbol on his suit which they do a lot um to transition to the next scene and then he goes and he tries to convince harry to come help him but it's like a slow and it doesn't sound very urgent and honestly it was one of my least favorite acted moments from Tobey Maguire of all three movies of him asking Harry to come rescue MJ with him because he can't take on all those villains at once and then he leaves and then we have a little bit of with Harry and then we get back to MJ hanging in a taxi cab that is falling suspended in this web that's not all that sturdy with a truck above her that's going to be dropping on her as well and we just spent like a whole almost five minutes or something if it's not five minutes it felt that way away from her there was no sense of urgency there was no sense of oh my gosh she's going to die and I think what happened is they had this scene of him take you know pulling out the suit from under his bed and looking at it and everything and they didn't know where to put it and so they just put it there for some reason because I know if I had superpowers and someone was hanging suspended and about to fall, I would be running but and grabbing and going. Sorry, what? But she she wasn't about to fall. That's the she was being like that's why they say over and over in the news that she was being held hostage. Like she they it's not like when 
but it fell through a layer of web like we watched that happen before, like way before like through the layers it starts falling it doesn't start falling until after he uh goes to harry's and the truck doesn't start falling until he's there I just am saying they had there was no sense of urgency. They went from a very urgent, like, this is a b- really bad situation to a super slow, was supposed to be the, what they thought would be an emotionally poignant scene. And to me, there was it just was a bad move because it slowed the pace down and removed me I- from the, the situation of, of fear for MJ and for Peter for having to go up against these bad guys. And it just was random and just messed up the pacing of the storytelling, in my opinion. I just, I really, it took me out of the story completely because I was like, why are you not running? Why are you not going? I Even if she's not about to fall, even if she's not currently falling and she's not going to start falling until he gets there, I don't want to be sitting in the cab wondering what's going to happen to me for any longer than I absolutely have to. And he's taking his time. It's such a slow movement, taking the box out, putting it on the bed, taking the suit out all slow. Like he wasn't even hurrying to get the suit out. Well, and I think the emotional impact that they were going for, you know, because he he was about to grab the the red one that was hanging up and then he goes to the black one. And when he decides to, like, go with the symbiote or whatever, and they're trying to, like, mirror that. But I agree with you in the fact that they didn't have any emotional attachment to, like, why he put it in the box. He didn't like in the last movie, Spider-Man 2, he gave up being Spider-Man. You know, like mm-hmm. he threw the suit away and then he decides, okay, I'm going to go back. And then he steals the suit. Like, but at no point when he gave up the symbiote, did we think he was never going to be Spider-Man again? You know, so I feel like the emotional impact of that scene of him choosing the red suit, like he wasn't choosing between the black suit and the red suit and he chose the red suit, you know, or it wasn't like, oh, he, he gave up being Spider-Man, but he's going to marry Jane's in trouble. So he's going to do it. You know, he's going to take it out you know he's gonna come out of retirement (laughs) to to go and save her and so the reason why that scene like it could have been emotionally impactful had we not known that he was always going to be spider-man like if he had made if he had chosen between the black suit and the red suit and he's like i'm more powerful with the black suit but I want to be a good person. So I'm going to go with the red suit. Or mm-hmm. if he had been like, okay, I did horrible things to Spider-Man, even though it was the symbiote's fault. Like I'm never being Spider-Man again. And then it's like Mary Jane's in trouble. Okay. I got to be Spider-Man. Like there's ways to make that impactful, but because they skipped all that and just had that scene, it, it, it had no emotional weight. Yeah. It had no emotional weight in it. And so the fact that it was supposed to be, you know, your girlfriend is being held hostage now is not a time for an emotional connection with your suit. <laughs> and so follow that up with what I, as I said, I was not the take that I would have used from Toby McGuire for that scene. I just thought it was one of the more weak moments from him in terms of acting, which I've liked so far. Uh, so two scenes in a row that really bothered me. In the meantime, I couldn't stop thinking about poor Mary Jane. But I just, the second half of the movie really grated on my nerves. And that was the thing that grated on my nerves the most out of everything. For some reason, I really don't know why of all things, those are the, <laughs> that particular sequence of scenes is what takes me off the most, but it does. Well, to, reach so, <laughs> to reach their own, you know, and 
there were but there were a lot of things and i think really what takes me off the most is this really could have been an awesome movie we could have gotten more toby mcguire spider-mans had this movie gone over well and they made enough money that they were like yeah we can do no four five and six as well they just got a little bit bloated in how many things they had to have in there from what i read on wikipedia um it was the studio's request to put Gwen Stacy in there and Sam Raimi didn't want Mary Jane to be captured again because he felt it had happened so many times before, but late in production, the production company was like, no, Mary Jane or someone up there, producer, someone was like, no, Mary Jane has to be captured. And so I feel as though Sam Raimi got a little bit overwhelmed with how much stuff that he didn't necessarily want like it says here that during pre-production he only wanted harry osborne and sandman and at the request of one of the main producers he added venom to the list and then they also requested gwen stacy so had it just been Raimi's vision had the producers not stepped in and be like oh yeah also add this and and this on and all that stuff we could have had a much better smoother movie and I hope he wouldn't have added that email. Well, I mean, if they didn't have Venom, you wouldn't have probably. Well, I don't know. It doesn't say he wouldn't have had the symbiote. I'm assuming that he only added the symbiote because they wanted Venom in the movie. So he <laughs> something else must have happened or something. But if we just had those two villains, I think it would have been a smoother go for the studio. Also less CGI for them to have to do which would have lowered the budget, which means they wouldn't have had to make nearly as much at the box office in order to not just break even, but make enough for them to continue. So they they were going to release a Spider-Man 4 in 2011. Then they were going to do a Venom spinoff. So I'm assuming he would have gone up against Venom either in Spider-Man 4 or in 5 or 6, which they were going to do. But they got it got canceled and they decided to reboot it with Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man instead. In 2012 to try and and which then they did the same thing with the second of Andrew Garfield's movies which was add too many villains at once in it I haven't <laughs> seen that one okay well they do I, I haven't spoiled anything because honestly I can't remember anything about the movie to spoil except I remember sitting there saying to myself they have too many villains in this movie they haven't given an, all, all of them enough time to be a villain and so they they did something similar to three but i think worse i've only seen the second andrew garfield spider-man once because i came out of there not wanting to watch it ever again <laughs> yeah well for, for this movie i think um again i like all of these i i feel like if they had had like crappy villains then it wouldn't be a problem but because sandman won what is his name thomas hayden church is amazing like he does such a good job as sandman you totally feel for him he's a great villain because he's a good guy but he's got like a weird moral compass of he's like a petty thief you know so it's like you feel bad for him uh because of his daughter and he's so loving but then he's also a thief so you can't feel too bad for him you know like and he's making really bad decisions but you like you notice he never kills anybody he's you know tries really hard to be a good person he just kind of sucks at it and that is that is a, enough of a villain <laughs> you know like that is enough to make a, an entire movie and thomas Hayden church is so good i love him he's one of my favorites uh 
he was like ever since he was on wings like he's been one of my favorite uh actors and i always like watching his movies and then you have uh james franco as harry and he did such a good job in this one mm-hmm. being being the creepy harry that i hate you know from the from the cartoons <laughs> and he does a really good job in this movie and oh, it would have yeah. been really cool to see that just those two or even just one of those, you know, like I feel like Harry could have been in the Venom movie and they could have done the Venom storyline and wouldn't have to have had the Sandman and then Sandman could have had his own movie or they could have done it where Harry can't de- or uh, Peter can't defeat the Sandman by himself. And so he needs Harry and they just, you know, have Venom have his own movie. You know, like I feel like they, they all could have had their own movies. And that's the problem is like if they would have just had little crappy villains that's then that's it would have to take down Spider-Man because they're little crappy villains by themselves. That would make a lot more sense. But the fact that you have very compelling villains and then you water down the most important villain in the Spider-Man universe, it it just doesn't like that's what didn't work for me. I still liked this, but like I still enjoyed the I still enjoyed this movie. I'm not going to lie. Like, I know a lot of people don't like it. And I get that it has too many villains. And and there are acting moments and director moments and editing moments that are weird. And I feel like that's kind of been a theme throughout all, all three of these movies is that there's like, why did they randomly cut there? Like, why did they choose that acting? <laughs> you know, like, why, you know, but I still enjoyed it. And I just... If I just wish I didn't know how good these characters could have been. And I want more of these characters. I also want more of an explanation for um, the reason why Eddie Brock needs his own movie is because it doesn't explain, like, where did this meteorite come from? What planet is it from? Is it an alien? <laughs> like, it, oh, it's a symbiote. It attaches to a host and it brings out aggression. That's all we get. Like, we don't understand, like that it's sentient we don't understand that it steals his powers that it can read his mind that like all of a sudden eddie brock has venom but why does he have spider-man's powers you know like and it doesn't explain it and it doesn't explain why he's um uh why the sound the sound hurts it it doesn't explain why fire hurts it it doesn't explain anything and so so this like incredible villain that everybody loves you don't you don't get any backstory for you don't get any like good action for you know you just you don't get any explanation and uh it's really difficult because you want to like I feel like if I had never heard of Venom before I would be like why is this person this is the stupidest thing you know like it doesn't make any sense and then with um with Flint Marco, he just like floats away and it's like, is he gonna go rob another bank? Like, what happened? Is he a good guy now? Like, what what's going on? <laughs> it doesn't explain anything. And then Mary Jane and Peter dance together, but they don't necessarily get back together. Does he propose? Does do they get married? Like, we don't know. And we don't know how like like there's just so many unanswered uh questions because they opened all these cans of worms. And then they close them real quick. <laughs> you know, like, it's very unsatisfying, I guess, is, is my problem. Because it needs another movie. And they should have just let Venom have his own movie. Like, the, the, I, I feel like they 
they knew this was the last movie. And so they had to kill off Harry. They had to kill off Venom and they had to um, get Peter and Mary Jane back together and that. And so they just like shoved it all into one ending and it doesn't work. Um, but I still, I, I still like the majority of this movie and I still think it's one of my favorite of the three other than the unsatisfying ending. Yeah, I I mean, I assumed from the ending that he and Mary Jane got back together. Also from, uh, you've seen No Way Home? I can't remember. Have you seen No Way Home? Yes, I've seen No Way Home. And, and, they, and he does say in that that they are married. Yeah, so a combination of the fact that I saw No Way Home before I saw Spider-Man 3. Um, and I just was kind of, kind of like Luke and Lorelai and Gilmore Girls just, completely pivoting the last episode like like they kiss which you everyone took to them getting back together but there were some people before a year in the life came out and said yes they got together and have been together since then there were some people who were like just because they kiss doesn't mean that they're actually together and so <laughs> it just goes to show that unless you definitively show them getting back together there's so much room for debate in the fan community so I, I, yeah, Sandman goes off. You don't know what he's going to do. He still needs money to cure his sick daughter. So I guess he's going to go rob another bank or something. And like, I thought it was sweet and everything of Peter to, to let go of the guilt and the burden he's been carrying around on over Uncle Ben's death and to be able to forgive someone and realize that it was an accident, even though it was an accident that cost someone their life and changed the course of his own life and Aunt May's life, but then he just goes away and what now? And maybe if they had the opportunity to create the next movie or the next three movies, which is their plan, we would have more answers. Maybe they wanted to bring him back in the next movie again. And that's why they had him just kind of drift away without a, an actual conclusion. And I think knowing that they wanted to do more movies after this helps the ending become clearer. It's like the ending of... They wanted to do six movies, Spider-Man movies, with the Venom spinoff. So that would make the third movie one of the middle movies. So it makes sense for it to be a middle movie ending. But they didn't end up making more movies, so it's a trilogy ending, and it's not satisfying as the ending of a trilogy. Well, it's not satisfying as the end of a movie. Honestly, like it doesn't it they kill off the characters so that you feel like, oh, they're not going to make another one. But then the characters aren't happy and it ends on a melancholy note, which typically is a middle movie thing and not the conclusion of a, a big trilogy. So it it's unsatisfying in so many different ways. Anyway, um, my my next note is just I so. <laughs> I love the fight with Harry at the beginning. It's one of my favorite cinematic scenes. The CGI is, I think, good for the time. Like, if they had done it now, it would have been better. But the CGI was good. The um, the dialogue that they have during it is so emotionally charged. I like it. It's cheesy, but I like it. And it was so, like, I don't know. It was a really good fight. And then at the very end, um, he he shoots a web across the alley, clotheslining Harry. And there's this sound effect that is like, doink. Like, it's so <laughs> ridiculous. Like, you have this, like, cool, emotional action figure type of, like, you know, worthy of an action movie type 
fight scene and then it ends with this doink sound and he falls <laughs> and then he falls and he like almost dies and it's sad and it's scary and it's like but you're laughing because you just heard doink in a <laughs> like in a fight scene <laughs> like I was just like oh that's so like they they really did ruin that like <laughs> whoever was the sound effects guy needs to needs to go back to school or something because that was just like oh that's sad <laughs> that was not oh. the way to end that fight that is really funny I don't think I noticed the sound mostly because we watched this movie at night um when the kids were in bed and so I had the sound a little bit down and we just put captions on but I felt so bad for Harry during that scene I like actually did a little oh my goodness jump at the how hard he got hit and went down and all the hits going down yeah. and um there's a a youtube video which i want to send you to now that i've seen spider-man 3 um by a youtuber who he talks about movies and whatnot and he says that spider-man 3 is unequivocally his favorite spider-man movie and he goes through why and he's like yes there's problems and he has like a lot of the same grievances as as, you, as we have been voicing but he still really really loves this movie and it's still his favorite and i really want to send it to you taya because i feel like you and he are one a couple of the only people who uh, who really love this movie knowing its flaws but still really enjoy it so i want to send it it just ends badly and yeah I the One first the half thing. I was convinced that it wasn't that bad. The first half of the movie I, I had agree with you, but the second half of the movie, there's a point and it's and it's before the scene that I ranted about earlier where he's like running to save MJ. There is like a maybe it's the dancing. I don't know. Maybe the dancing just completely turned me off. <laughs> the scene in the jazz club. Okay. I had seen people talk about it's I had seen the dancing on the street before so many times. What I had never seen or heard alluded to before was the jazz club scene where he's playing the piano and then he gets up and he like does a bunch of dancing and stuff and so and swinging from the chandelier at one point and so i'm sitting there like what 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 is happening like i was visibly and audibly just like shocked at that scene and maybe that was the turning point for me <laughs> i think that was well, there I think it turned everybody off because I think that's why like that's the part that people talk about the most the part that people remember is that stupid scene is him walking down the street and then going into that club and doing the stupid dance and it's like the emo Peter is what people remember from this movie and it's like just cut it like why is this in here what what purpose does this serve other than showing like it's kind of like um, red kryptonite for Superman. Like it makes them like that's their bad kryptonite or whatever. But for this one, they don't explain that the symbiote is sentient. Like it's a creature. It speaks to hair uh, to Peter. Mm-hmm. Like, and it doesn't make sense. And then it's like, okay, well, it's like it's like when um, when Superman is exposed to red kryptonite he is like a jerk and he's a bad guy and he'll like rob banks but really it's just it takes away all of his inhibitions like all of his um desire to do good 
So it's still Clark Kent. Like it's still him. He just has no, he has none of those noble hangups to be a good guy. But with this movie and with Peter Parker, it's like, like Venom or the symbiote is not red kryptonite. Like he, like Peter is not in control, you know, like, and they don't allude to that at all. What they're trying to allude to is that the symbiote makes Peter like Superman on red kryptonite where he has no noble intentions. He's just kind of a jerk. And what would a nerdy Peter Parker be like if he had no ambitions, he would be emo. (laughs) like who's the, the hair, who's the the hair are like the mean people that you turn into when you have no inhibitions like yeah we just go emo and we dance around clubs and basically use our spider-man powers in front of people oh to my goodness our ex-girlfriends like you know like it, just, no, it was awful who's signed off on this <laughs> the hair i could not with the hair taya i Oh my gosh, it was so hard for me to look at him with that email hair. I, oh my goodness. Okay, so they if they wanted to show the symbiote, took away his inhibitions or whatever, that's what they were going for. Buffy did a really good episode of that where Buffy drinks some beer. It's The episode is called Beer Bad. She drinks some beer and it kind of turns her back into a cave woman for a short time. And she does stuff like in class, she sees someone eating a sandwich and she thinks, oh, I'm hungry. I like that. And she just grabs the sandwich out of their hands and starts eating it because she has no inhibitions. She doesn't care. She's hungry. She sees food and she takes it like stuff like that. She didn't do a weird, slightly almost offbeat snapping down the street. (laughs) Like you do things that you're... um, without thinking it through first and everything he was doing was he was thought through it was just really weird and creepy and not rude and creepy and like oh it's kind of like creepy evil it's creepy just like get away from me you belong in an asylum of some kind (laughs) like i don't like the term it's so cringy or cringe like this (laughs) this scene is like the epitome like if you looked it up in the dictionary it would be this scene cringy like i hate when he's like walking past the mirror and he like he like tossles his hair in front of his eye i was just like oh my gosh you look so stupid like and i like like especially back then like when i was a teenager and stuff i liked the emo look i liked the you know the moody the brooding like i got it this was not it. Like, this was at no point, like, hot, sexy, brooding, misunderstood goth guy or emo or anything. It was just cringy. It was like, if you were emo at that time or you were goth at that time, like, you were so insulted, you know? Like, it was just, ah. Uh... Anyway, so so that's that scene. And I don't want to talk about it anymore. I want to pretend like they cut it from the movie and it's just some fun stuff that the actors did on set for their own enjoyment. <laughs> and it's not actually part of the movie. That's my head. So how canon. we fix the movie is we take out emo Peter altogether. We have we have the symbiote maybe involved or maybe just teased. One of two, but either way, Venom is not a main villain in this movie. Venom is saved for another movie, possibly teased in this movie, possibly not. But we remove the emo Peter dancing just completely. Club scenes down the street scene and already you have a way better movie just by making those small adjustments also if mj is in trouble in this movie and harry and harry dear heavens peter has to go save her we don't do 
a random scene of him slowly pulling the suit out. <laughs> yeah. And waiting to go save her. How rude was that? That was so I'd break up with him and wouldn't get back just for that if I knew that happened. Like forget all the other <laughs> stuff. Also, does Peter ever find out that Mary Jane cheated on him? I mean, I know he was evil yeah. at the time. Yeah. But like he says, <laughs> Harry says, um, what happened? He said she kissed me. And he, uh, that's something that I did remember. Like, I told you guys, I forgot a lot of this movie. But, like, I did remember when Harry tells Peter, like, and when she kissed me, it was just, like, before. And he, like, sucks on his lips. And he's like, ooh, strawberries. strawberries. That, was, that scene cringe was so creepy. But he's supposed to be. Like, he's supposed yes. to be evil. And, You're supposed and to want to punch creepy. him in the face. And I did. Yeah. But also, how did he disappear? Like, Peter looks back and he like waves or something and then a bus goes by and he disappears. He's like crawling on the on the <laughs> cafe floor. <laughs> Can't let Peter see me. <laughs> but he has been, I mean, he has been taking the Green Goblin serum, which is supposed to improve like speed and, and whatever and jump and stuff. So I'm sure he had some superpower that helped him, but I really just that's my headcanon is that he like dropped to the floor instead of crawling out. <laughs> so here's how we would improve the movie keep that scene peter looks truck goes by we don't see him and then we cut to the cafe and he's on the ground and a waitress is looking at a mirror and he's like check to go please (laughs) (laughs) anyway um (laughs) i have to look at my other notes but so oh the kiss um so like i said in the last movie uh, or in the first movie the kiss the upside down kiss was with gwen stacy and it was not that like Anyway, you you really get mad at Peter because in this, like in the last movie, Mary Jane's life was going good. She had a fiance. She was on Broadway. And then Peter's life was falling apart. And then in this movie, Mary Jane's life is kind of falling apart. And Peter's is going really well. And I kind of like that because it's like, that's what happens in real relationships. Like you, you're, you have to be happy for your partner, even when your life is going to crap. And uh, Peter was kind of being a bad boyfriend, mm-hmm. not be, not not with nothing to do with Spider Man. You know what I mean? Like the fact that he has to leave and he can't stay there and comfort her. Like that wasn't the problem. The problem was that he wasn't listening to how bad she felt before he had to leave to be Spider Man. You know what I mean? And when like he's talking to her um, at dinner and saying, "Yeah, I'm famous and it's weird. I don't deserve it," thinking that she's getting a lot of fame for being on Broadway when that wasn't what the problem was. He wasn't listening to what she had to say. He wasn't listening to how she felt. And, you know, like those are just problems that, that relationships have. And I like that. And I like that when she breaks up with him, he's like, we have our problems, but when you have problems, you talk about it, you work through it. And she's like, I'm in love with someone else. And she runs away. Of course she's not. She was just doing it to save his life. Cause Harry went crazy and was threatening, uh, was threatening Peter. But I think, things don't ever get explained like Mary Jane never knows that Peter was um that Peter was I don't know infested (laughs) was taken over by the symbiote Mm -hmm. it it never explains that it never explains that she also doesn't know that Harry's dad was goblin and that Harry took the same power enhancing stuff that his dad did and is also goblin kind of like goblin junior he is the like, green goblin. 
yeah, they never explain either of those things to her. I mean, I'm sure after the ending of three in that their world that does get explained to her he's like hey by the way harry's dad norman remember him and then harry that's how he was able to help fight me and all that stuff and or fight with me we'll also fight him but she only saw him fight with him and then you know oh also remembered i was a jerk and had my hair really weird and possibly some eyeliner going on oh yeah i was like infected with a weird black goo thing yeah like what kind of conversation is that gonna be yeah you just have to kind of assume that she knows because she knows certain things but she doesn't like she doesn't know why peter and harry are not getting along which means she doesn't know that norman was green goblin but when she sees like when harry breaks in he obviously has the glider he obviously has taken over the green goblin he's become a super villain so she knows that at least but you don't Mm -hmm. know how much harry told her harry could have said Peter killed my father because he's Spider-Man and he thought my my dad was Green Goblin, like whatever, you know, like we don't know. It's, it's all off screen. So we don't know how much she knows. And then she comes back and she forgives him for everything that he did when he was attached to the symbiote. But she doesn't know that he, he was, a, he, she doesn't know that he had a symbiote, you know? So it's, yeah. they rushed the ending and they wouldn't have had to rush the ending had they cut the stupid stuff. Yeah, I think I actually read a bit more on the wiki page about um, what happened after the movie was released because I was curious how the response at the time was. And it was very mixed at the time. But one thing that has happened in the last decade or so since it came out was that the producer who asked Raimi, the, the director, to add Venom and then eventually Gwen Stacy in has come out and said that, yes, I pressured him into it and I feel really bad now. I feel like if I hadn't done that, we could have just added him, had a movie with Venom later and it could have been great. He's like, we, I learned or we learned that Venom is not a sideshow and that's how we uh, treated him and that made the fans really unhappy. And he's like, I take all the blame for that because I did pressure Raimi into doing it. And I just felt like so bad. Like, can you imagine having all that on you because Sam Raimi was very open like after the film came out that he was not happy with how it came out and that he didn't like feeling pressured or guilted or whatever into including that stuff and he like said it was the producer (laughs) and then the producer (laughs) had to come out and say I feel bad for that producer like he thought he was making fans happy because they're like hey they like Venom but he didn't think past that I guess or you know yeah, I don't, I don't know. They, I feel like it's it's such a delicate balance between director and producers because if you just let the director do whatever you want, you end up with things like Thor, Love, and Thunder. But oh. if you let the producers bully you, you end up with Spider-Man 3, you know? So it's like, right? it's very hard to balance. And that's why Joss Whedon quit after he did um, some of some of the Avengers movies was because he's like, the producers are way too involved yes. and I can't make the movie that I want to make. And then yeah. when the producers were like, never mind, do whatever you want. That's what happened with Thor Love and Thunder. So it's like, it's a balance, you know? You need, because people who are really creative and you and I know this from working with each other, we get a lot of ideas. Not all our ideas are going to be great <laughs> or even good. You just, but you have to be able to throw out 
every idea you have in case you strike gold or just to get it out of your system and get past it, you know, but you need someone there who isn't afraid to say no or isn't afraid to work with you on the idea in, in order to make it something good or recognize the good in it, be like, what if we took it this direction instead? And I also think that similar to the original Star Wars trilogy or with Harrison Ford in particular, I've heard a few stories of him stepping up and being like, hey, I don't think my character would say this. I think he'd say this instead, or we should do the scene this way or like say this at the same time or, or not. He um, knew his character well enough and he wasn't afraid to kind of not like force people. He wasn't being mean about it, but just be like, Hey, I think that this should happen instead. Or I think it'd be cool if we tried this one time, you know? <clears throat> well, and, 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 all that. and I think people nowadays are so afraid to offend or get fired. Need people there who aren't, who are going to be able to say no. And I don't know what, like position that person would be or should be or whatnot. Well, and I think one of the one of the biggest issues, especially like like you were saying, like with Harrison Ford, is he could speak up because he knew the character so well. But I think there was only one uh, saying I know instead of you know what I mean. Like there, like there's a lot of times when it's like, oh, it's a, this iconic you know thing that Johnny Depp did or that Harrison Ford did, and that like it it wasn't scripted or whatever they do like they do that for like one take or two takes you know like you have a range of this and then it's the producer's job to make sure that you have a story you know what i mean like mm-hmm. they they tell you as a writer like if you write a movie there's the movie that's written there's the movie that is shot and then there's the movie that is edited and those are all going to be very different because of the new information that you're going to get, you're going to get new information from the director, from what your budget limits are from the actors taking your character in a different direction. So the movie that is shot is different from the movie that you wrote. And then when you edit the movie, you have to take out stuff. You have to choose one of those um, shots that they have. You can't take them all. You can only take one. And so you, you, the the final movie that you see that is the edited version of it that has to make sense and it has to be well told and so it doesn't matter like you know so like good scripts are always going to be the best right and then Mm -hmm. good actors and good directors are always going to be the best and then good editing is going to be the make it or break it but if you break down in any of those three movies in any of those three steps you can ruin the entire movie and I think this one, the problem was, is it started with the writing because that's where they threw in all these extra characters. And then it got worse with the acting because the director took weird takes. And then it got worse with the editing because they didn't understand the emotional weight that they were or the pacing that they were taking away or the stupidity of the emo scene you know like and and it broke down at each level it broke down and so I think you have to like with this movie you you need an editor you know like you need to a lot of the stuff that was in this movie needed to be on the on the editing room floor and and then it could have been in the next movie or something so um Hang on, I'm going to look at my final notes, but, like, I think for this movie, the the way to have fixed it 
was figuring out that balance before they started shooting, before they put in so much money to the special effects. And the special effects were perfectly fine. There was only a couple of times where I was like, ooh, that's CGI, like bad CGI. You know, like the rest of the time I was like, oh, that's fine. Like it didn't bother me at all. And if you've listened to our podcast before, you know I get annoyed with bad CGI. So <laughs> like none of the CGI in this movie made me angry. I could see it several times, but it never made me angry. So they did a good job putting that in there, but they also didn't need like half of it because if they had cut out, you know, a lot of the, if they had cut out the Venom stuff, all that CGI could have been taken out. And a lot of the fights, <coughs> sorry, and a lot of the other fights didn't have to be as epic as they were with, with regards to CGI. Um, and then just some final notes, basically, Bruce Campbell was awesome. He's the major D in this one that doesn't get to uh, help Peter with his proposal because his girlfriend uh, gets mad at him. And then Mary Jane is a horrible girlfriend again, and he's a bad boyfriend, but it was all like workable. But then again, Mary Jane cheats on her boyfriend, like always. And then it causes Harry to drink. And as soon as he starts drinking, his insanity kicks in again. And that's when he goes and threatens to kill Peter and all the drama happens. I didn't like the maitre d' scene. I didn't like the maitre d'. I didn't know that was Bruce Campbell. I didn't yeah. recognize him, but I didn't like him. <laughs> I didn't like him or that scene. I don't think you're supposed to. Yeah, but I didn't like the scene in the movie. Like, I wish he could have just gone in and gotten his reservation, told him to put the ring in the champagne and go, like, I didn't it wasn't like the first two movies when Bruce Campbell's the announcer and he's like, really? The human spider? And calls him, then instead called him Spider-Man. Or when he was the usher at the theater, which, I mean, I was annoyed that he didn't let him in or clarify that you can come in at intermission or whatever. But I didn't hate that that scene was in the movie. I hated that that scene with the maitre d' was in the movie. I could have done Why, without it. What did you hate about it? I just, you remember when you said you don't like cringe the word cringe, but this movie had some really good examples of it. This scene was one of those examples of it for me. Like, if we could take cringe in the dictionary and put whatever we want, first I'd put the email dancing Peter scene. Underneath that, I'd put the maitre d' scene. And then I'd put cringe, but meant to be, would be the scene where James Frankel was like, mm -mm, strawberries, because it's creepy and cringy, but it's meant to be. Because you don't like him. So is it just like, is it just like the secondhand embarrassment? I think possibly secondhand embarrassment. Because just, I felt like I so feel much like of it in this scene... movie by that time I was just I was um I don't know. I just wasn't having it at that point in the movie. Which I don't even think emo dancing Peter had happened yet. I can't remember. It, it hadn't. Okay, it yeah. Happened. So even before then I was just like I don't know. I didn't like it. I didn't think it was funny. I didn't think it was interesting i wouldn't have kept it in the movie i feel i don't necessarily care um about like him being like oh we're french and i speak french and not like all of that stuff didn't bother me um but i do feel like that scene has a different feel because it's funny and it's very like cheesy and up until that point the movie hasn't been that way but it the way that i see it and the reason why I like that scene is because that is when, so like Harry is completely oblivious, not Harry, Peter is completely oblivious to what is happening with Mary with Jane. Like he, he is um, 
ha- like he's happy. Everybody likes him. He's about to propose to his girlfriend. His best friend has forgiven him. And like everything is going good in his life. But then when Mary Jane tells him things are not okay, like I'm not okay, I'm going through something and I'm upset and I am not happy with what you just did with Gwen. Like the fact that you kissed her in front of me, I'm never going to forget that. You did that and it hurt me. And and you can see in Peter's face, like he's like realizing, like that's when the tables kind of turn in his brain of like, oh, I was sitting here thinking that everything in my life was perfect when in reality it wasn't. I was hurting people I love, you know? And that's a funny scene because he like keeps waving at Gwen and the matriarch keeps trying to bring the, the champagne and then no, no, stop it. And, you know, like, and Bruce Campbell, I think is funny. And so he's like, yes, okay, go ahead. And he's like, no, no, stop it. Stop it. And he like gets <laughs> mad at the people who are like bringing the champagne, even though it's not their fault, <laughs> you know, like that kind of stuff. I think it's funny and it doesn't fit in the movie, but I think it's not supposed to. I think it's because it's that moment of, life is funny and bubbly and you know like it's when peter has a realization of no everything is not peachy in your life you're just ignoring all of your problems <laughs> you know like oh. you're just you're not dealing with the things that are happening that are sad because you're blinded by your fame and your fortune and everything going good um so so that's why i like that scene I do recognize that it's cheesy, but it's Bruce Campbell and everything Bruce Campbell does is cheesy, which is why we like it. <laughs> you know, now that you explain it like that, I didn't mind. I, I actually did like the after part when he kept trying to bring the ring out and it wasn't the time. That part did make me chuckle. I, I liked it with the juxtaposition of what was actually going on. It was just when he was trying to get to his table. <laughs> I was like, come on, man, just seat him. <laughs> just let him be. <laughs> but no I I get what you're saying totally um and I did I I did like the whole he kept trying to bring the champagne and it didn't work and then at the end they did and Peter had to fish it out with a fork yeah so I don't know I I would watch this movie again if I was like going on the Spider-Man thing I would I wouldn't skip this movie or be like oh no we can't watch it I would watch it again um, I don't think the things that made me angry this time would make me as angry on future watches of it because I don't know because I didn't even know they were coming I guess and also because I could see the potential of the movie and really it's movies that have the most potential that make me the most sad when they miss the mark because they're so close you know you can look at it you're like you were so close you're almost there you had what you needed and it just didn't go right that's we're, why we have this soon. podcast that's why we named it missed opportunities it's because we love movies with potential and we want we want to we want to make movies that have that live up to their potential yes we need people to come in and curb our creative ideas <laughs> I mean, we curb each other pretty well, and then we probably need a third person to look at both of us and be like, "Y'all are both crazy." <laughs> well, and I think, I think it's like if, like you said before, you have to throw out all the crappy ideas. You have to have like a safe space to throw out all the crappy ideas because you might find a good one. But the thing is, is that you can, you can only, you can make one crappy idea into a really good film. You can't make six crappy ideas or six good ideas into a really good film. Like you have to 
take one, make it good, you know, create a good story, tell it well. And that's, that's the formula, you know? Well, that's what Top Gun Maverick did. People were saying for as good as it was and and how groundbreaking it was at the time, because it just was, people were like, movies are back and all this stuff. Other people were saying, but it's just so simple. Like the storyline is so simple. There's not much to it. And yeah, that's kind of the point. Like we got so into these complicated movie storylines and people trying to, you know, have all these elements work together and make movies that you really have to think about, which is perfectly fine for what it is. But Top Gun Maverick proved that you can have a simple story and if told well with good directing, good acting, good production, which we know Tom Cruise is always going to be on top of a lot of aspects. He doesn't do projects slightly. Then you can make a really simple story shine and entertain people. And that's really what people want overall. That's why a lot of people watch movies. Yes, there are other movies that people watch that are more get you thinking or more dramatic and whatnot. And those have their place. But you can do to to say that a movie isn't good because it's too simple, even if it's told well, is missing the point, I think, of storytelling in general. Right. Well, and and it's like I like I say about like the Star Wars movies is that the original Star Wars movie was a good story and it was told well. And then the prequels is a good story that was told badly. And then the sequels are a bad story that was told well, (laughs) you know, like um, it really is finding that sweet spot of you have to tell a story well, but you also have to start with a good story. And with with. Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3, I do think they had good stories. I think that they were simple enough up until this movie is they got away from that simple formula of Spider-Man has trouble with girls and he has a villain to fight. Like, that is the Spider-Man. And he has to get to class as well. That's a big part of Spider-Man is that he's a college student. Um, So, like, those are the three things that that a Spider-Man movie needs. Like, we've talked about, like, what what a Star Wars movie needs, what you know, all the different ones like this Spider-Man needs those three things. He needs trouble with girls. He needs trouble with class and he needs one supervillain to fight in this movie. He has trouble with girls. He doesn't have any trouble with class and he has way too many villains to fight. And it fell apart because they went away from the formula. So just like, remember simple works. If you do it well, simple doesn't work if you do it badly, but neither does complicated. <laughs> you know, like if you, if you tell a story badly, it's just like um, the prequels of star Wars, they were not told well, the acting wasn't done well. The CGI wasn't done well. The editing was done really badly. And that's the problem with those. And so now a lot of people forgive that stuff because they just think, Oh, that's whatever. Um, And they really like the actors who played the characters, even though they didn't give a great performance in those movies. Um, But because the because the sequels were such a bad story, even though they were told really well, they had good CGI, they had good acting, they had really good special effects. They were just badly told. So anyway, uh, with these three movies... I wish that they would have stayed simple. Like if they had simplified this movie, it would have been everybody's favorite Spider-Man movie. Like if, if we, if you made the changes of just like he got rid of the symbiote and didn't see it again until a teaser at the end of the movie, like, and 
the emo stuff never happened and he was just a jerk to Mary Jane um, at her place of work, then this movie would have been everybody's favorite Spider-Man movie. And I'm positive they would have made more. You know what I mean? Like that was all it took was simple was simplifying it. Just like yeah. just like Maverick, simplifying it would have made this movie. I mean, they were like pretty deep into pre-production for the fourth film from what I saw. They had cast people, they had villains planned out, they had did gone through four or so different scripts, but Raimi just kept saying that he couldn't find or get a version of the script that he liked well enough to go forth with. I think he was really disappointed with how three ended up and he wanted to make the fourth one like the almost the comeback, if that makes sense, because he was disappointed in three. And so but he he didn't get the chance to, you know, they they rebooted with Andrew Garfield to try and breathe a new life into the Spider-Man series. And then they only were able to get two movies from that. And then, of course, Marvel, the deal with Marvel went down and out. And then we have Tom Holland. So Sony had a deal that they um, they could keep the Spider-Man like they bought the Spider-Man from the Spider-Man franchise from Marvel and they as long as they were making Spider-Man movies they kept the rights to him so that's why they made the Andrew Garfield ones and rebooted the whole thing they could have just made a fourth Tobey Maguire one and it still would have been a Spider-Man movie but instead they rebooted it so like they had to make a Spider-Man movie when they made the Andrew Garfield ones in order to keep the the character but they didn't have to reboot it and I watched the Andrew Garfield the first one the Amazing Spider-Man, and it's a retelling of the first Peter, like of the first one. Like it's it's yeah. the exact same story, but it's not told as well. <laughs> you know, like it's not told as well as the Tobey Maguire ones, which is sad because I do think that Andrew Garfield is a better Peter Parker, but he's it. The story just wasn't good. You know, like it didn't work the way that the first one worked because you didn't care about Peter as much as you care about the Tobey Maguire. Like that's. That's the thing about Tobey Maguire is he makes you care about about Spider-Man. And while I think Andrew Garfield is more charismatic on screen, which would make me think like, oh, he's a better Peter Parker because he's more charismatic and I like him more, but I don't care about him more. Like I felt less when he gets hurt than when I did when Tobey Maguire got hurt or when I felt less when he like you know, gets his heart broken than I do when Toby Maguire gets his heart broken, <laughs> you know? And, and anyway, anyway, <laughs> so I think that's my, that's my final note. Um, and it all boils down to, there's a lot of little issues like Harry scars heal super fast, but then again, he has a super serum. MJ's always cheating on her boyfriends. And there was a lot of scenes that took up a lot of time. I really like the, his, apartment owner and like Ursula the the girl who's like all excited like Mary Jane called back like I love her I I think she's adorable (laughs) um (laughs) but like I recognize that there's problems with this movie but I still enjoy it like it's a really good movie it just needed to be simplified yes those are my final thoughts (laughs) no I agree I mean I know we disagree on Topher Grace's performance but I think we can both agree that he did not need to be as prominent in this movie just because the character didn't need to be as prominent in the movie. And maybe yeah. I would have liked Topher Grace if he had more time in in the role. Who knows? Although now that I know Eddie Brock is supposed to be this massive guy, like the guy that they did in 
the Venom movies that went on later, which I saw the first one. And I cannot for the life of me remember if I liked it or not. I just remember know that I've seen it. I remember watching it during the lockdowns that happened, even though that's not when it came out, but that's when I watched it. So I know a lot of people visited. really liked it. Yeah, well, we might have to watch it. I didn't watch it. And I know a lot of people really wanted me to. So let us know in our um, social media if you want us to do that movie, if you want us to do the Venom movie. I haven't seen it yet. You've seen it once. So let me know. Uh, let us know if you guys want us to do it on our social media pages. We have uh, Facebook and Instagram at Your Little Sisters Productions. You can tweet us at YLS Productions uh, or YLS underscore Productions. Sorry. And you can always um, support us over on Patreon.com slash Flake and click on the podcast tier. It's $5 a month. You get email access to us and you support this podcast so that we can keep do- doing this. And you also get first dibs on what movies we do next. Yes, absolutely. I I would like to cover the Venom movies, but let us know if you want us to move on outside of the Marvel realm or superhero realm into other movies. Let us know if there are any movies that, or topics that you would like to hear our thoughts on. If you disagree with our thoughts or agree with them. And I think that's everything. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, bye. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. Bye.